really I'm helping business owners make decisions. So should I hire? Can I afford to hire? Who should I hire? What should I pay them? You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hey there, friends. We have officially flipped the calendar into September, and now I'm ready to like light my fall candles. Let's go to a pumpkin patch. I'm just going to wear sweatshirts and pants everywhere, you know, regardless of the temperature, because we do live in the Midwest, and I know that even though it's fall, the temperature doesn't always comply with that. So welcome back to another episode of Small Minded. I feel like I say this every time I go to air, but I have a great guest today, and not only is she a fantastic, skilled, gifted guest in her field, but she is also a great person and a good friend of mine. So we are welcoming to the podcast my friend Janie Stahl of Janie Stahl Coaching, and Janie will share with us today her story and her evolution as she went from the corporate world to working for a startup to now being her own business owner as she is a chief financial officer for hire for other businesses. And as we get into today, a chief financial officer can help you get a great overview of where your business is at financially so that you can make informed decisions about where to invest, what products and services are your best sellers and which you can maybe kick to the curb. How do you know how much to be allocating to your salary, to your retirement, to taxes? How do you know when it's time to hire? Janie can help with all of that. And in today's episode, not only do we get a broad discussion going about these topics, but she gives us some key specific steps that you can take as soon as you push pause or end this episode. And as someone who has kind of a complex around money, she makes it so simple and she makes me feel empowered about the decisions I'm making in my finances for my small business. So I hope that you love today's episode. As we get into it, and you can always go to the show notes too, but Janie talks about some resources she has over on her website, so you can head over there, download, and start making better decisions for your business today. But let's just get into it. So welcome, welcome to my friend Janie of Janie Stahl Coaching. Well, I am so excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast, Janie. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for having me. Janie and I, okay, so this is funny because we we met via Instagram, I think, and our paths kept crossing and we even hosted a workshop together early in COVID times, but we didn't actually meet in person until a couple months ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was so funny because I felt like I knew you and we had like been in conversation so much. And then we came to a conference and we like, we're talking to each other and you said, wait, I think this is the first time we've met in person. Can we hug? And I was like, oh my God, this is. But all that's just to say, Janie and I have a lot of connections here, but I am just super excited to bring you to the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So Janie, why don't you set us up? I know this is a big ask to have you introduce yourself. But try to give us just an overview of who you are, what you do, and then we'll dig into the specifics. Okay. Uh, So I'm from Williamsburg, Iowa, also an Iowan, just like you. And I am married and we have two kids. Uh, They're three and one. And I went to the University of Iowa for college. And similar to you, like my path has unfolded way differently than what I ever imagined it would. And so I uh, went the corporate route right after I interned um, somewhere all through college. And then I was able to, I accepted a job with them right out of college. And so I grew my career in the finance asset management world. And um, after I had my son, I had the opportunity to join a startup who was almost in a CFO type of role. And the reason I bring that up is because that's what led me down this path and what kind of led me to my business. 
but um, we were working as a CFO for farmers. So also like you, I grew up on a, well, I grew up on a farm. So everything just kind of merged and came together where it was a both a perfect combo of farming and finance. And so I realized through working with these farmers that it wasn't just these guys who were struggling to make decisions and understand, like, was that a smart decision? Should I invest in this or not? And so I started working with just my network. I knew some marketing agencies. And so I started working with them as their CFO and things progressed from there. So I think it's funny because I think every industry is like a niche within itself and people know each other within the industry. And so word spread and I just continued to work with more people in marketing. And then I gradually started working with people who were service-based businesses. Yes. And so with these service-based businesses, now that you are Janie Stahl coaching and you're a CFO for hire, what is that? Like break that down. What is a CFO and what are some of the tasks that you can help business owners with? Yeah. So um, I should clarify. So CFO stands for chief financial officer. And I think a lot of people like recognize that in terms of like a large corporation that, yeah, they would have a CFO that makes sense. And so sometimes people don't necessarily understand why would a small business need that? I think a lot of businesses start with having a bookkeeper or maybe even gradually having an accountant or a controller as a common term that people will have. And so that person's role is to look at the big picture finances of the business and make sure that they are profitable and to help the CEO make decisions. So with COVID, I think that was a huge turning point for a lot of small businesses who realized that I can't afford to outsource all of these accounting functions and all of these like major decisions, or it's just hard to like talk to the lawyer and the accountant and the CPA and talk to all these people at the same time and always have a pulse on like, what is my business doing? Or what are my, if you have multiple businesses, what are they all doing? Which one's making me money or losing me money? So with COVID, like A, people couldn't afford the things that they could in the past, but also they realized that we all had to go virtual. We didn't really have a choice. And so I think for the first time, a lot of people saw, oh, I can work with a CPA who's outside my small town. Like, I can work with a lawyer or a CFO or whoever who isn't in my small town and they might work with more people that are in my industry. And so they really know my industry and they get my business thoroughly. So in my perspective, like it gives them an advantage because when you're able to hire somebody or outsource to somebody who is in another state, you just have a bigger pool of candidates to look at and you're getting more like hopefully you're getting more expertise for an affordable rate. I think that is so important because I think about like the business owners who I work with and oftentimes business owners are trying or when they set out to begin their business, they do it out of like passion or because they are skilled at a certain thing. But quickly it evolves into, okay, I got to manage all this stuff. And when you start bringing in team members and you start realizing, you need to save for taxes or you need to know when it's time to invest in that new piece of equipment or that new um, class or course. It gets to be a lot more than maybe you anticipated when you jumped into this entrepreneurial journey. It is. So having someone yeah. like you is a great resource. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like taxes, that's very common where I think a lot of just like you said, year one, when you first get that tax bill, and if you haven't been saving up for it, or you in the past, if you did have an employer who was paying towards that, it's a big, scary thing to be like, oh my gosh, I have this huge tax bill to pay now. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so having someone that you can turn to, and like you said, they kind of have a pulse on where your business is at and where you can go. And it's one person that you can call to help you work through those numbers and make those choices instead of going to your lawyer for this and your CPA for that and a bookkeeper for that. Like having someone that you can turn to is such a great resource for small business owners. So I think what you do is so important. And I'm so excited to have you here today for all of our small business listeners. 
Thank you. Um, okay. So one of the reasons that you have kind of been on my radar to bring in is for the financial piece. And we're going to get into some specifics in a little bit. But the other reason I wanted to bring you in is because when I look at your story, and since I know you on a personal level, like I know a little bit about like the risks and some of the maybe challenges that you had to overcome in your journey to becoming your own um, small business owner, entrepreneur. So when you look back at your journey, I know you kind of walked us through a little bit of that already, but are there some pivotal times in your evolution to where you are today where you were like, I took a specific risk and it's paid off today? Yeah. So um, I feel like there have been several. I mean, as your listeners know, like there are always major decisions to make, right? So we're not just business owners. Like most of us have a partner or we may have children. Um, we have lives outside of that. And so you're trying to evaluate all of that and just be like a well-rounded good person all around. And so that can get hairy sometimes when you're trying to figure out what is the priority right now during this season. So I would say there are like three major risks I took that stand out to me. One, and I won't talk about this a lot because I feel like I've talked about it often, but the first one was the decision to go off on my own. So like I said, I was working for a corporation. I had no intention of ever starting my own business. I was risk adverse and I was the breadwinner and the insurance carrier. And so then having a baby and you have to have insurance, I mean, you know, you should have insurance for, for your family. That was a big decision to make. And so, like I said, I kind of took baby steps and chose to join a startup where I lost my benefits, but that kind of gradually got me on the path of, oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was let go from that position and also found I was pregnant on the same day. And so I really had to like do a gut check and evaluate, am I trying to prove something to my husband by making this business work? Or is it really that I'm just trying to prove it to myself? And so I said, like, I will, I love what I'm doing at that point. I had one client. And so I was like working part-time, but then also doing my business part-time. So it did kind of start as a hobby. I don't like to say it was a hobby, but it was part-time. So I decided to go full-time into it and to buckle down and just try to get out and meet as many people as I could and um, try to get more clients so that I could bring in enough income that we could live off of it. <laughs> so that was the first risk. I would say the second one was uh, niching down. So I think that especially in like Iowa or in the Midwest, I think that businesses can get away with having a broad industry or like a broad niche. And for me, I had to make the decision of, do I want to try to work specifically with a particular industry or a particular business? and do I really think that I can get enough clients in that particular industry to be able to repel other people or turn other people down? And I don't know, like, I don't know really looking back, like what made me launch into making that decision, but I just felt like I knew that this, like the CFO, the virtual CFO space was very competitive and there were a lot of options. And so I tried to like, think strategically about it and look at where is there space for me and what do I do really well and where do I have a competitive advantage? And so I tried to place myself in that space. So therefore I chose to work specifically with service-based businesses across the U.S., men and women. But I evaluated early on that, yeah, there are CPAs. Yes, there are bookkeepers. Yeah, there are a lot of CFOs. And what are my strengths? I think my strength is like being strategic. I have that finance background and I am able to think creatively um, outside the box. So I really try to provide like that comprehensive approach. So that would be the second risk. And then the third risk would be hiring. I think it's like suffice to say that we all can evaluate, oh my gosh, can I really generate enough revenue every single month to pay this person, right? Like 
none of us want to, even if it's a contractor, like none of us want to bring on somebody and then not be able to give them hours or not be able to pay them. And so that was really serious to me. Like I want to treat my contractors well. Um, I want to treat them like employees. I mean, you have to be careful in terms of there is an IRS difference, but in terms of like culture and onboarding, like I wanted it to be legit. I wanted it to be professional. I wanted them to feel welcome. So all of that was important to me and I probably overthink things, (laughs) but it kind of slowed me down a little bit, but I ultimately had the point of like, okay, I'm at capacity. I can't serve everyone and keep doing all the things. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I preach to my clients, like you have to delegate, you have to, at some point, let go of control. And it wasn't control for me. It was just more so of like the logistics of, well, how do I find somebody who has the skill set to do like this particular thing Mm -hmm. and who is the right person to hire and what should they be doing? So that was the third risk I made was bringing on my first, uh, actually, I think I brought in two people at the same time. I brought on a bookkeeper that I could sub that out to, and then I brought on a virtual assistant at the same time. So I really went for it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you mentioned all of these risks because each one I feel like covers a different stage in your life or a different season in your journey of business. Because the first one, like you said, was like, deciding that you are going to go for it. And even in this season of your personal life, when you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to pay these bills and the benefits package? And then ultimately deciding to go for it. Like, that's a huge risk to take. And I know that you've had this question a lot and I get it from people too. It's like, well, how do I make that jump? And I always am like, well, everybody's journey is going to look different. And my situation is different than yours. But ultimately, you get to a point where you're like, I just got to do it. And then I remember this stage of your business. And I feel that you are like such a mature business owner. And so I love your strategic mind and your organization. And when I met you last year, I remember you reaching out to me and I kept seeing you pop up everywhere and like, you were doing webinars and you were doing trainings on your own social media. And then you were networking with these other organizations and doing trainings with them. And I was like, this girl is all over the place and she is providing kick-ass information. And I loved (laughs) watching it. But I think that's key to what you said in the first risk you took. You made that decision and then you didn't just like start a social media page and hope people came to you. You went out and you networked and you worked your own contact list and then you partnered up and got with other organizations and people that you knew would help you get to your goals. And I think that is a very important thing that I hope people take note of because just having like marketing doesn't mean that people are going to find you or choose to do business with you, but doing what Janie did, marketing, educating, showing up and working your network, that's what's going to bring people to you. And Since that time, Janie, since you were doing all of this networking, have you had an increase in your roster? Yes. So, well, and I will say like, I did start with the, (laughs) the elementary approach of, I did put up a website. (laughs) Well, I, not to, not to shake anybody out of that. You have to do that too. (laughs) Yes. But I did have that, that mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to put my website out there and people are just going to come to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And after two months, I realized, oh, that's not working. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, like we all start there, like you have to start somewhere. And, um, I literally was like, my back was against the wall and I had to make money that month. And so, you know, I tried to like, be very careful that that desperation (laughs) didn't come across. But yeah, I mean, I was just in a different place. I think a lot of people, maybe they're not in that place. And so that's okay. But yes, I, so I started with just putting like the website up, didn't really get any leads and, um, then started trying to meet people in person. So I know that with last year, like that was really hard for people. And so I feel for the businesses who were just starting at that period, because I do think that that is a very underappreciated way to grow your, grow your roster or just try to meet people. And yeah. So like people that I met two years ago are now becoming clients. And so I know that this is a cliche and people say it all the time, but like 
really, you never know that person that you randomly meet. You don't know how that's going to serve you later on in life. And so I, I try to, not that like I'm a master networker or anything, but I just try to keep that philosophy in mind. And even when I do have prospects who turn me down, I take it with like, you know what, like this was practice for me. This helped me learn. They were able to tell me about their business and what struggles they're going through. So I can utilize that to, um, that's more information that I have of how I can help people. And you never know, like I have had people who turn me down or aren't ready right away, but then a year later they are ready. So I would say that now I am busier. And so I don't do as good of a job at marketing, but I think that that is like a natural evolution of your business too. Oh, and I think give yourself some credit. Your marketing is really good. And I love that you're authentic about it. And um, like the posts you've had recently are about moving into that season and having the work-life balance and showing up in the way that you want to, um, that feels good to you too when you're doing your marketing online. And so I think you do a good job of it. I always get tips from you, financial and networking wise. I think you're great. Well, thank you. Hey, if I meet the Molly Knuth standard, then hey, I've made it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So back to your risks too. Like when you talked about, so we talked about networking and marketing, we talked about niching down and that was a calculated risk that you had to take. And I love that you talked about leaning into your own strengths and saying, okay, the market might have a lot of X, Y, or Z industry or X, Y, or Z professionals, but what can I bring that's unique and that is helpful for the people who I can serve best? And I think that is a really great thing for people to think about because we do, I feel like what we talked about a little bit ago, when you start off, you just kind of have to start somewhere. And you don't have to be like so specialized or so niche down right from the get-go. It's okay to be broad. It's okay to like try your hand at different things. But then like to your point, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I either got my list is booked or I want to specialize in this one area because you have to know so many specific things that I know I can help this population And so niching down is a very important part of the business, but it doesn't have to happen right away if you're just new to your journey of small business ownership. So I thought that was a great thing to mention about your own personal journey and a risk you took. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, like there are still businesses who are doing really well who haven't had to niche down. So it's hard to... It's hard to like give people a roadmap because there really isn't a roadmap. It's mm-hmm. it's all based on you and your experiences and your market and your strengths. So I hope that that's a positive, but it might be frustrating to some people. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing you said about your risks was the hiring. And I know that you and I have had conversations around this before too, but hiring is the uh, evolution of your business. And depending on the business model that you take, you might need to hire earlier or later in your business lifespan. But there are so many different options out there for people who are looking to bring someone on their team. And you mentioned this a little bit, but you talked about bringing on someone as a contractor or subcontractor versus a full-time or even part-time employee. Can you touch on what those differences might be and how they might serve your business differently? Yeah. So just like the IRS definitions of this. So like a 1099 common interchangeable words are 1099 contractor, independent contractor. So that's like, if you think about bringing in an assistant or even if you are um, like hiring Molly and you're outsourcing your social media, those are all forms of independent contractor roles, meaning that you are not paying their Medicare and social security. So the difference between a contractor and an employee, an employee is you are paying their Medicare and social security or their payroll taxes. So like oftentimes people automatically think with employee, it has to be 40 hours a week. And I would say like, just avoid that as a small business. You could have an employee where they're only working 20 hours per week, but yet you're paying their social security and Medicare. So you need to evaluate like what is the type of work that they're doing and then 
you know, you can just easily like Google this. And I have also a guide on my website of the IRS definitions. But the reason you want to be careful is because if you are treating somebody as an employee, but you're not paying their payroll taxes, that's a big no-no. And so you don't want that to get reported to the IRS. You don't want to make that mistake. You would then have to back pay those payroll taxes. So just make sure that you are (laughs) trying to meet the IRS definition of that. You can look at the IRS's website, or I can give you the link to this guide of the differences between them. But yeah, that's essentially like in a nutshell what the the differences are. And I think that, and we will definitely link to your guide because it is important to know what makes somebody qualify as a contractor versus an employee. And I know that when we've talked in the past, you've said some things like, do they have to work at certain times or do they have to have like a follow a certain schedule? So that's kind of how I've based my, like bringing on people onto my team. And it's like a lot of times for me, they're on for a certain project, or we have to get a task done by this date. But I'm not saying you have to be at work between 9 and 11 a.m. here at this location. And so that's the difference. That's one of the differences, I should say, that can kind of guide you in, okay, do I need a contractor or do I need a part-time employee? Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's a good clarification. So when you begin with like a new client, and I know this is like a very broad ask, But when you just start getting into a relationship with a new client, what are some of the things that you do or questions you ask that client to kind of determine where you need to go with your business relationship? Yeah. So this is probably going to be a lot broader than what you would assume or what others would assume. But I really do ask business owners, where do you want your business to be one year from now? Because the part where I come into play is really I'm helping business owners make decisions. So should I hire? Can I afford to hire? Who should I hire? What should I pay them? Um, What tasks should they be doing? Where are their skills? How do we align that to the tasks? And then other decisions, like how do I allocate my income so that I can minimize my taxes? Like I'm sick of paying more in taxes every single year. How can I be a little bit smarter and more strategic about that? So Asking that question of where do you want your business to be one year from now, it kind of gives me a reference point of what are their goals and like, can I help them? Yes or no. And what is that going to look like? Like, do they want to invest in their business right now and try to stabilize and streamline, or are they really trying to grow their team and grow sales? Um, What is this path going to look like? And then I'll ask them, like, do you feel confident right now when you are making decisions in your business? So I don't know if I I don't know, it'd be interesting. Like I should pull my clients because I think that we do get into a lot more of the touchy feeling things besides just numbers, because we are coming back to like basic values and motivation and fears when we're talking through these decisions. And sometimes they don't expect that. I have had a client or two be like, man, I feel like I'm in like therapy right now. (laughs) Uh, Not that I am like, that is not my area of expertise at all. Not qualified. So yeah. So I just start with the very like broad, the broad topics and we try to figure out, can we work together? Are we a good fit for each other? And if I am going to help you, what is that going to look like? And what are going to be like the measurable outputs or the results that we're aiming to achieve? Oh, that is so good. And I think that when we, as small business owners, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but we can get caught up in the nuts and bolts and like the percentages and the how much to allocate. But like what you said, a lot of what we do when it comes to our own finances is emotionally driven. And whether it's driven by fear or like by seeking like affirmations from others or stuff like that, like there's so much emotion tied up in our money story and being able to talk to a professional who can acknowledge that side of it too, I think is super helpful, especially for small business owners, because you need to, as a small business owner, always be watching your finances and your bottom line, but also like we work so hard, (laughs) like 
it's mm-hmm. okay to take some of that money and enjoy it and treat yourself and celebrate your hard work too. And I love that you are able to do that with your clients, getting them to where they want to go, but also like letting them enjoy what the hard work that they're doing too. Yes. Yeah. You make a lot of good points there. I would agree that money is a very personal, emotional topic. We all have like different, just how we, what our money mindset is, is based on childhood and how we grew up around money. And then just like your individual situation, we all have different goals and financial freedom looks different to all of us. So it's evaluating what are your priorities? What's important to you? And how are we going to achieve the long-term goals in a like profitable, uh, like in the smartest way possible? And I love that you brought up profit right there too, because when I was starting out as a small business owner, and maybe somebody listening is at this point too, but when I was on social media and looking at these coaches and they're talking about $10,000 months and $100,000 years, I'm like, man, that'll be so good to get there. But then like not understanding that as a small business owner, those numbers might be my revenue, but that's not necessarily money in my pocket because I need to be paying my contractors. I need to be paying my overhead expenses. I need to be saving. I need to be paying taxes. So we can have a goal to get to a certain number, but that's not necessarily the whole story. And I love that you just mentioned, how are we going to make your business profitable? Because that's yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) So we said that everybody's financial story is different. Everybody has different goals. So then we'd have different steps to getting there. But do you have like a couple just like rules of thumb across the board that you would love to tell small business owners? All right. Your story might be different, but this is something you got to be doing. Yeah. Well, you provided a great segue because I would say the goal is like if you're in business and you're not profiting. So profit means like take your income, your sales, subtract all of your expenses, including eventually like, what are you paying yourself? Are you transferring any money from your business account to your personal account? Are you paying yourself anything? So take all of your expenses. Hopefully you have a positive number at the end of the day, or when you look over the month or the year, the goal is you should have net income. A lot of businesses truly like they, they, they don't know, they don't know whether they're profiting and that's okay. Like, like I said, we all have to start somewhere. So I would say, just try to at least track your income and your expenses right away from the get-go so that you can at least look back over the year when you go to do your taxes and look to see, all right, what was my income? What were my expenses? What's my net income? Cause you're going to have to report that for your taxes. So another reason why it's important to have net income is if you are losing money, so if you have negative net income year after year, the IRS is going to look over a five-year period. And if you are losing money year after year, then they're going to say, this is not a business. So I think it's important for people to realize that it is important to track your numbers and to know like, that's great that you love what you're doing. But I would say too, like, this is probably taking a lot of your time and probably time away from your family and you're having to prioritize this business. So if you're not making money, then why are you doing it? Like that might sound harsh, but really. Um, So that would be number one. Number two is I think some of these things have to be done in tandem or together. So I would say pay down your debt and also try to save my priority would be to contribute to retirement savings because so often, like especially farmers, they think, oh, I can retire off my land. Well, are you really going to sell your farm or are you going to pass that down? And then I would ask that question to businesses. Like you need at least a million dollars to be able to retire and live comfortably, like depends on your cost of living, all of that. But that would be a safe metric or a goal to have. So is your business, can you really sell that for a million dollars? Is it worth a million dollars? If not, then I highly recommend that you contribute to retirement savings. So the reason that I think that you should pay down debt and contribute at the same time is because the earlier you start in investing or contributing to that uh, retirement savings account, so that would be like an IRA or, um, you know, for people who are employed by others, that would be your 401k. 
the earlier you start, the more money you're going to have saved up later in time because you're getting compounding interest on that. And so there is this philosophy or this definition of the time value of money, meaning that the earlier you start, you're going to have compounding interest on that. And so you're going to be making more money on more money. (laughs) So I would try to pay down debt, like figure out what you can afford, where you can, I would start with at least contributing hundred dollars every month to your retirement savings. And so many business owners haven't started this, like they don't have retirement savings again, that's okay, but just start today, like start as soon as possible. Um, so figure out what you need to like the minimum payment, minimum payments for your debt, start there. And then also try to contribute hundred dollars a month to retirement savings. A good rule of thumb is to get to like, what would be a reasonable salary for yourself or for somebody in your position and then take 15% of that. So you should be contributing 15% of your paycheck to retirement savings in order to be able to retire at a, you know, age 60 to 65. Oh, this is so good. Janie, I love it when you <laughs> talk about this, like at this level, I'm like, okay, I'm taking notes. Like I should put hundred dollars away today. Like, <laughs> I love when you give those specifics because the way you speak to the people who are listening, and this is how you are on social media. And when you're talking to clients, like it's just, you break it down so well into small attainable steps. Because when we look at the big picture, when we are like, oh crap, I got to get to a million dollars in 30 years. Like, can I do that? But the way you break it down is like, it doesn't have to start today with putting away 10,000, like start Mm -hmm. with a hundred dollars this month. And then just start taking some of these steps so that the money is working for you in the background, compounding interest and things like that. But I love that you make it attainable for small business owners at any stage to get started. So thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. I try to make it simple, but sometimes, yeah. (laughs) So you can tell me, you can reel me back in and say, okay, that didn't make sense. (laughs) No, that's uh, money and finances make my head swim. And a lot of times my eyes glaze over and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. But that's why I appreciate you so much because you make me feel engaged and like I can do something with the money. And I don't know, maybe other people don't feel this way, but like I have a whole complex. Okay, this is where I'm turning into a therapy session. I have a whole complex about like my own money. Like, what am I good at this? Am I bad at this? But I, I just appreciate so much that you can break it down into a way that anybody can understand and feel empowered around their business money decision. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. Cause I, that is a very common concern I get from people. So it's funny how like, it's like money and, you know, health and nutrition, those are shame items for a lot of people. Like they don't want to talk about it. And so I am so grateful when people will even open the door or even let me put my foot in the door to even reach out to me to say like, I don't know, I don't know whether I'm good at this or bad at this. And I just want to find out. And so I applaud that for business owners. I think that for a lot of us as entrepreneurs, like we are curious, we do like to learn. So if money makes you itch and makes you squeamish and you don't like talking about it, then put it in that framework of like, I'm totally still Brene Brown's quote here, but like, I'm not here to be right, but I'm here to like, get it right. Like I want to learn how to better understand this so that I can feel empowered and confident. And that is my absolute number one goal is I just want people to feel empowered and confident in their business. Oh, Janie, that's amazing. That is such a gift because I know anybody who's listening now, like if you are somebody who feels shame around money, like when I was a stay-at-home mom and I wasn't like financially contributing to the family, I was doing like contributions to the family. Obviously I was like taking care of the kids and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. I was like, I definitely had shame around money. And I was like, I hated checking our bank balance. I hated paying bills because I didn't feel like I was empowered around it. And I just felt so much shame around it. And eventually a light bulb went off where it was like, Nobody's going to do this for me. If I want mm-hmm. to to use you and Brene's words, like if I won't be right right now, but I can get it right if I just stay curious and I keep making small steps to get better. And I don't pretend to be right right now. I have a lot of steps, obviously from your suggestions, like I have a lot of steps <laughs> I can still be taking, but taking those small steps and learning more about what you can be doing 
to make yourself better in the long run is the first step. And so you can like just begin small and grow as you feel comfortable and you feel ready to get there. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I will say like, I just want to hit on that point that I definitely feel like not to turn this into a male or female thing, but I do think for a lot of women, especially because I had that almost that shame too, of like, I have to make money in order to contribute. Right. So I will say that this comes up often for women. And so my tip would be that figure out like what it is that you need to communicate to your partner to, or, and maybe it's even your own like internal metric. It's not even your partner's like benchmark of, you know, well, did you make any money this month in your business? (laughs) But to be able to track that and say like, okay, yeah, I had net income and now I'm to the point where I can pay myself. And so putting in like a plan or just like a process for checking in with yourself or with your partner, if necessary to be able to communicate, like, yes, my business made money and this is what I'm going to be paying myself, or this is what I'm going to be paying for family wise for expenses. I think that in itself gives people a lot more confidence and it's just a good starting point. Oh, I love that, Jamie. Thank you. Okay. If we're getting close on time. So I'm going to have you, I'm going to ask one more question of you and then we will get into the small talk round. Okay. okay. So if you could have people who are listening, take two steps to improve their financials after they get done with this episode, what are the two things you would have them go do immediately when this episode ends? I would say if they're not already start tracking your income and your expenses at least be able to determine like whether you have net income. And so if you are already doing that once a year, when it comes to tax time, push yourself a little bit further and try to do it quarterly or every three months. If you're already doing that quarterly, then try to do it monthly. If you are doing it monthly, great. Then I would say move on to like evaluating your retirement savings. So okay, is your money sitting in your business checking account and it's earning practically nothing? all right, let's try to, where can we put that money to work? Can we put it into retirement savings, AKA the stock market? I will say this too, like a lot of people underestimate that your business is going to earn the highest return, right? So think of it in terms of like, if I bring on a team member and I'm paying them, then you should be earning at least that amount in revenue. So we often underestimate, like we think we have to have these like huge, you know, very, I don't know, very strategic, important investments. And it's like, just start with your business. Think of that as an investment in itself. And then you can look at the stock market and then you can maybe look at real estate or other businesses. Uh, I think that's a really good point to make about investing in your business. That is an investment. So whether it's like one of the investments I made when like I was new was getting a new laptop because the other one that I had started with took after an update no lie, 45 minutes to start up. And like, I kept thinking to myself, like, ah, but I can't go out and buy a new laptop because it's going to cost so much money. But I had to reframe my own mindset and say, this is a tool. If I invest in that new laptop, how long is it going to take me to pay that off? If I'm able to work more efficiently, work quicker, that tool, that new piece of equipment will allow me to do. And so I ended up buying that new laptop and it seems like it's not connected to investing, but it really is. And those things that you purchase for your business, not everyone's a like quote unquote smart decision because I've made not so smart investment decisions in my business in the past too, but it is also just like investing in yourself, believing in yourself. And then those things that you're investing in for the business should pay off down the road. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Okay, Janie, thank you so much for these tips. I think they are great. I know I feel like I need to go categorize my QuickBooks once we get off of this podcast now. So (laughs) you're helping me for sure. Um, Can you tell everybody who's listening where they can follow you online, where they can find you for more great resources, including that one that we referenced earlier, your guide to contractors versus employees, and all the other resources that you create for people who want to follow Janie Stahl? Yeah. So everything that we talked about, you can dig into that in more detail. Um, If you go to my website, it's janiestall.com. 
And then I have a page that's called free. So that has all my blog posts, all of these guides where you can really dig into the details if you would like to. Um, And then that also has, if you just want to try to get a frame of mind around like, what should my goals be? Or what are some of these steps that I can take? Or how can I kind of get into like a process with my financials? Um, I have a business assessment. And so that will walk you through like some of these questions that we've talked about. And it might be, I, I use that for myself actually every year to just evaluate, like, am I on track? What do I need to be measuring within my business? So yeah, that might be helpful. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Okay. So now we're going to get into what we call the small talk round. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions. It has nothing to do with finance, but I'm just curious and I think it's fun. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is one thing you do every morning to start your day on the right foot? Oh, I used to be good about this, but right now I'm not. <laughs> I was going to say, it might look different now that you've got yeah. two little ones. Yeah. I used to be good about, like, I would try to listen to a podcast. I would try to journal. Right now, uh, we are we are subject to the one-year-old's sleep schedule. So she wakes me up around 5 a.m. and we go from there. <laughs> hey, I would like I think that's we'll eventually great. get into a better, healthier routine. <laughs> well, and kind of like we talked about earlier in the conversation, like we see these things on social media that we quote unquote should be doing, but it's different for everybody. And some people have like a dedicated morning routine. And I went through different seasons too, where I was like, I should journal, I should meditate, I should work out, I should drink a green tea, whatever. But then I figured out like some of this works for me, some of it does not, and it makes me feel depleted. So why am I trying to do it? So mm-hmm. different seasons are going to look different and it's okay to just be in survival mode at times too. Yes. Janie, where do you turn to for like inspiration or motivation? Um, You're probably not going to like my answer to this. It's not a very good answer. But I am very internally motivated. Like it does not. I love that. I don't, I don't need other people to like motivate me. It's also like a default to like, or, you know, sometimes can be a bad thing because I'm a perfectionist. So sometimes my standards are so high that they cannot be met. <laughs> Just as <laughs> <ask> my husband. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, um, I do, I mean, I really do like um, the Empower Her community that we are both a part of. It's really nice to, talk to other Midwest female business owners who get it and they're in the same throw of life. Um, so that's helpful. And I love like all things thought leadership. So like, I love Brene Brown. I love Adam Grant. I love just like human psychology and, and as a perfectionist, like always trying to be better, improve myself. So I'm a personal development junkie. Um, I think it was you that turned me on to Adam Grant a couple weeks ago and I had heard his name, but I'd never really done much as far as like finding out what he was about. Mm-hmm. I've listened to like three podcasts of his in the last week and everyone has me thinking differently about things that I just kind of accepted as my own default. And it, oh my gosh. Yeah. For thought leadership, like that, uh, yeah, I have no words because it was really finding him and the different podcasts he has are just like such good thought pieces. Yes, I agree. Janie, what is your favorite social media platform? Um, Instagram. <laughs> I like that there's the personal element. I mean, I think it's just because I came from the corporate background, like it felt like you had to have like the professional persona. You couldn't really talk about your personal life a whole lot. And I feel like LinkedIn, like I get frustrated with LinkedIn that it's still a lot of that. Like, it's just like resume, you know, let's perform, 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 because we are really just like avoiding our own shame and trying to show others how we can perform. I don't know. It, (laughs) it gets old to me. So yeah, I love the Instagram. There's like this segue between the overlap between you can talk about your business, but you can talk about, I was up all night with my baby. (laughs) Uh, I think that's, so important. And I think you do it really well because there is so much when we are, when we are the face and the person behind the business, like 
yeah, not getting any sleep because your one-year-old was teething, like that makes a big difference in how you're going to show up tomorrow for work. And having empathy around that is so crucial, especially in today's age, I feel like with post-COVID and all. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All right. Two more questions. What was your first job that you were paid for? Um, I love that you say paid because there were a lot of unpaid jobs on the farm. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I worked at, uh, we have Tanger Mall in Waynesburg, kind of the reason we're on the map. So I worked there. Ooh, what store were you in? I was in Maurice's. Ooh, I used to shop there all the time, yeah. like in high school and college. That was like my, I can afford the shirt. <laughs> I couldn't necessarily go to Hollister. I was, that was out of my price range. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. What is one thing you can make this either business or personal? What is one goal that you have before the end of the year? Um, one goal is to, uh, I would say I'll go the business route. I'm really trying to like as I talked about niching down, I'm really continuing down that path to continue to narrow my focus and specialize. And so I'm in this new evolution right now of working with larger businesses. And so it's like a whole new learning curve. Like I'm redoing all my processes. I'm redoing like all the spreadsheets and everything that I, that I have used with businesses. So my goal is to like, I love to learn, but I hate that learning curve process of not being an expert. <laughs> so my goal is to, by the end of the year, like feel a little bit more confident in that role and not, I guess, just like lower my own standards and be okay with not being perfect at it. <laughs> that is a great, great way to end this. I think that's Like, doesn't that sound like weird to say, like lowering my standards, but for people like you and I fall into this too, where it's like, I am my own biggest challenger. I am the one raising the bar constantly. Sometimes I need to just be like, be okay with being where I'm at. And so, yeah, I can, you're totally preaching to the choir. Well, (laughs) Janie, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing all of these resources, sharing your knowledge and just being such a great person. I love having you. Thank you. You, you always make me feel so good about myself. Thank you for lifting me up for the day. (laughs) Oh, glad to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Janie. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the small minded podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived, being small-minded.